turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. As you follow along, even, even you children can learn from this. Just look at all the capital letters everywhere in these 18 verses. It's a, something of a reflection on church history and how it's understood these verses to be pointing so explicitly to God, even when it comes to the Son, even and especially when it comes to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But every time you see the word word capitalized or the word light capitalized, and usually when you see he or him capitalized, it's all calling your attention to Jesus Christ as no mere man. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a philosopher. He is God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Hear the reading of God's word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. Take just one more moment to pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Bless us with him now as we attend to your word. Help us to gird up the loins of our mind and focus and feed upon this word from you yourself who are God. You who are God. We pray that you would grant us understanding and wisdom and transform us as we Seek to understand what this says about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whom we pray. Amen. Tis the season to ask if Die Hard is, in fact, a Christmas movie. But perhaps a better question is, is John chapter 1, 1 through 18, a Christmas 
text. It doesn't have anything about Mary or Joseph or the angels or the shepherds or Bethlehem. But I believe it is a Christmas text that informs us in a number of ways that are so helpful that we should come back to it all the time in considering the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it's the text in which we get that idea of Jesus Christ incarnate, Jesus Christ in the flesh. John chapter 1, verse 14, that he came, the word became flesh. And one of the reasons I think this is so important is because of a, a certain dissonance that I think you realize, and I know I do, when you're out doing any shopping that you continue to do in retail stores, for whatever reason. You will notice that some of these songs that we sing here for worship and some of these Christmas carols that include a very clear, explicit call to worship are the background noise to our materialism and commerce. You'll hear, fall on your knees, oh hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born, O night, O holy night, O night divine, let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, O praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. You will hear that as the background music to a customer service line in which somebody in front of you is simply asking, do you have the same jacket in red? Or do I have to order it online? And there's a dissonance that's there. You're hearing these words that are calling you to a profound sort of worship. Fall on your knees. Worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Proclaim his name forever. Contrasted with the mundane materialism of commerce. And so I suggest John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, jars you from that dissonance and brings you not to the sort of curmudgeonly grinchiness that me and so many else others are, are trying to push back, but maybe clues you into your place of privilege. Instead of thinking, oh, what a rotten world that doesn't fall on its knees and worship the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe it's appropriate just to stop and say, you know what, by God's grace, not because of anything I've done, because of who he is and how gracious he's been to me, he has brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light, and now my mouth is open to proclaim his excellencies. And while I might not literally fall on my knees during the worship service, I gather alongside brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we celebrate that night divine. We celebrate the divinity of that night. We celebrate Christ, who is the Lord. We proclaim his name now with an understanding that we will do so forever. We rejoice in his power and his glory. We respond to the calls to worship that are in the various Christmas carols. It's a privilege. It's not what we have done of ourselves, but what the Lord has worked 
in us, and we do it collectively. And as I've mentioned, these 18 verses that open up the Gospel of John help us and inform us when it comes to worshiping Jesus Christ as the God that he is. So we're going to focus mostly on uh, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. The glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. But we'll be drawing on the verses surrounding this in the first chapter of John. And to do so, I think we can just look at two different concepts that are woven through these verses. Darkness and light. Darkness and light. I've already noted that the word light is capitalized over and over in the passage, calling our attention to it being a reference to the divinity of the word who is made flesh, the word also being capitalized throughout it. But let's consider darkness, and even before that, maybe just these first three words, which cause our minds to go back to an earlier chapter of Scripture. In the beginning. In the beginning. When we hear in the beginning, our Christian minds probably go to one place or the other. It's either going to be in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, or in beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so our minds go to the right places just by hearing those three words in the beginning. And it's, it's fascinating to me that the first three verses of the Bible, the first three verses of Genesis, include the different concepts that John is drawing on here in John chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, there is darkness. We read that in Genesis 1 verse 2. And then the first word from God that we come upon in the Bible is let there be light. So you have in the first three verses of the Bible, you have in the beginning, you have God, you have darkness, you have light, and you have the word of God saying, let there be light. So when we come to the first five verses of the gospel of John, we see the Holy Spirit and St. John writing this gospel, beginning this gospel, drawing on all of those things in a way that makes you understand that Jesus is no mere man, but is indeed God himself. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and so that there can be no mistakes about it, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And it's a peculiar Reality, when it comes to darkness, that we know what darkness is because of light. And if we never had light to shine in the darkness, we would never be aware of what darkness is. It would be a nonsense word to us because that's all we would know. But we know darkness because it contrasts with light. And we read these fascinating words in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Think about that for a little bit. And it's beautifully illustrated even by our, our modern 
Christmas decorations, they go on at night, don't they? We put them on a timer so that they come on during the darker parts of the day. Our calendar is approaching the darkest part of the year, and our Christmas lights literally light up the darkness. And as dark as it might be, something fascinating happens there. The darkness doesn't overcome the lights. The lights stand out in the darkness. They contrast, certainly, but they don't overcome that darkness. When someone wishes to decorate their house with Christmas lights, the lights come on amidst the darkness and are not overcome by the darkness. And at the same time, it's, it's sort of true in a surreal sort of way to say the darkness doesn't comprehend the light. The, the darkness is pretty indifferent to the light that is shining within it. The darkness doesn't see light and then run away into further darkness. It's still there. It's still pervasive. Everywhere you look is darkness, but you see light shining amidst the darkness in various ways. And John is calling our attention to this and saying, understand the whole Christian faith along those lines. There's darkness everywhere. It's a dark world, and it was a darker one that Jesus Christ was born into. And the nature of that darkness is that it's uninformed. It's just going to continue on. It, it, the light shines amidst the darkness, and the darkness doesn't overcome the light. But the darkness doesn't respond to the light either. It's just there. I think that's really helpful as we think about our materialistic, consumeristic culture with these calls to worship blaring in the background, only serving as background music as we do more and more commerce. It's darkness. It doesn't respond to the light. It's not overcome by the light. I mean, it, it, the, it doesn't drown out the light. It doesn't put out the light. But it doesn't comprehend the light either. It's darkness. It's dark to this light that we have the privilege of having our eyes opened to. You might want to go a little bit further in considering this darkness. If you look just a page before in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, 23, verse 44, when Jesus Christ has gone to the cross, it was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. So during the daytime, there is darkness at the cross. Just a profound lesson on what Jesus Christ endured. He comes as very God of very God, light of light, the word made flesh. He comes into the darkness. And how dark was it for the Son of God, the one who created all things, the one who brought everything into existence? How dark was it for him at the point of the cross, betrayed, denied, abandoned, forsaken by the Father, darkness over the whole land. But he's still light of light, God of God, very God of very God, 
and he accomplishes on the cross what he alone as the God-man can. The light is victorious. The darkness doesn't overcome the light of the world on the cross. Though he dies, he is victorious. He rises again from the dead because death could not hold him. His victory over the darkness. He has conquered the world. And we have a mention of of the fruit of that in this very chapter, John chapter 1. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John and the Holy Spirit reminding us it's not by your effort that you've been saved. It's because you have a gracious, loving God who sends his world into the darkness to overcome the darkness and to give this new life according to the will of God. And that's a, a glorious contrast there in chapter uh, verse 13. Those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Because in verse 14, we see that the word became flesh. Not by the will of the flesh, the word became flesh. By the will of God, the word became flesh. And that word is uh, the word that we get, carne, which in and some languages means meat, and that gets the point across, flesh and blood. It is a real remarkable word to use in relation to divinity. God of God, light of light, flesh and blood. The word became flesh. And there's a lot going on in this verse. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's think about that. We saw his glory. This is the part of the sermon where we're focusing on God as light. The one who would say, I am the light of the world, the one whom darkness could not extinguish, the one who goes on, illuminating the minds of men in his light. And yet, if you, if you stop to think about what the Bible says, even this passage, it does say some God, things about God that would make us think that he's too bright to see, that he's unapproachable. The last verse, verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. There's a sense in which nobody has seen God in his essence. There's a sense in which only God himself understands himself perfectly in his essence and being. The way we come to know God is through his only begotten son. In the bosom of the father, he has explained him or made him known or exegeted the father to us. 1 Timothy 6.16 In 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, we read, He who is blessed, the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality, 
and dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. And that's the idea that was in the Old Testament, isn't it? That God chose a people for himself and marked them as his people and made his dwelling place with them by means of a tabernacle during their days in the wilderness and then a temple when they had moved into the promised land. And I want, I want you to think about this just a little bit. At the end of Exodus, there's a completed tabernacle And we read about the glory of the Lord. And in John chapter 1, we read about the glory of the Lord. But here's what we read about the glory of the Lord in that completed tabernacle. And you can surround it with thoughts about the unapproachability of Christ and him dwelling in unapproachable light. At the end of the book of Exodus, verses 34 and 35 of Exodus 40, we read, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Then in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, you have a temple that, replaces the tabernacle. Remember, David didn't build the temple. Solomon was in charge of that. And as they are dedicating the temple to the use of worship for the Lord, in 2 Chronicles 7, verses 1 through 2, we read, Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. Tabernacle so full of the glory of the Lord that it becomes inapproachable to Moses. Temple so full of the glory of the Lord that it's inapproachable to the priests. They cannot go into it with the glory of the Lord having filled it. There was a th another temple built. That temple that Solomon built was torn down. And during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, a second temple was built. And it's deafening silence, so to speak. Maybe even a pregnant pause, a pregnant pause of hundreds of years. You can read about the dedication of that second temple in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. But the glory of the Lord does not fill that, that second temple in the Old Testament. It's missing the part where the glory of the Lord fills the second temple. It's a, a significant silence, a pregnant pause of centuries anticipating the time when Jesus Christ, who is the word in the beginning, the word that was with God, the word who is God, Jesus Christ, the word became flesh, dwelt 
among us. That word dwelt among us is tabernacled among us. The need for the tabernacle, the need for the temple is no more. We have the glory of the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, very God of very God, light of light, the light of the world, the great I am, the one who would say before Abraham was, I am. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us, full of grace and truth. The glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, making known to us the glory of the Father. That's the light of the world. That's what Jesus Christ is doing. That's what he is shining out amidst the darkness. No more need for tabernacle. No more need for temple. And think about how we worship in this New Testament age. We're not in a temple. We're not in a tabernacle. We don't have animal sacrifices anymore. There isn't a priesthood waiting on you to serve you in various ways. Why is that? It's because Jesus Christ, the word, has become flesh and dwells among us. Tabernacles with us. Says to us in so many different ways, I am your God and you are my people. I am with you now, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. It's so real that the Holy Spirit is within you and among you as my people. So no more temple. No more tabernacle. No more animal sacrifice. No more priesthood to do all of the things of the work of the temple. Instead, a priesthood of believers with Jesus Christ himself being the glory of God among us, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. I love that verse 17 provides that clarification there. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. What's the law? In a sense, the law is, it's truth without grace, isn't it? That's kind of what the law is. Here's all the things that are true. Here, here's what God says is right, and here's what God says is wrong. But it's powerless to save. The purpose of the law actually is to condemn Right? I mean, this is what courts do. This is what tickets do, fines, whatever. It's the truth of God without the grace of God. A condemning truth from God is what we have through Moses and the law. In Jesus, we have grace and truth. Not just the truth, but grace and truth. And it's so fittingly not simply principles dropped from heaven, carved into cold stone in the form of law. But instead of just principles from heaven, it's a person living, breathing, enfleshed, incarnate, the word who is flesh, the truth 
who is also grace. And that's another reason to consider this a Christmas passage. The glory of it. The beauty of it. The mind-bending reality of it. The God who spoke and brought all into existence. Nothing would be except for what he has brought forth. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all. The glory of God, the word of God, the light of the world. How does he come? A baby. An infant. Tender and mild. Nobody's put off by a baby. (laughs) Nobody's scared to approach a baby. Nobody's on the edge of their seat, quaking in fear when they see a two-day-year-old baby. And we know this about God. He dwells in inapproachable light. He's holy, holy, holy. Even with Jesus Christ at the transfiguration, right? He, He shows what he would be like in his glory. And his disciples are just falling all over themselves in terror. But God didn't come like that. A baby born in a barn with an audience of shepherds to a poor mother and father. That's the way the creator of all things came to be dwelling among us. Offers himself and doesn't negate his truth, doesn't stand in the way of his truth, doesn't shy from his truth. But his truth is extended at every point with grace upon grace. Full of grace and truth. Grace and truth realized through Jesus Christ. Don't let calls to worship be background music for materialism and commerce. Put your attention on the light that shines amidst the darkness. Consider your needs and see them in light of two categories, grace and truth. How should we then live? And when we fail to live that way, is there forgiveness? Is there hope? Realize that what is right and wrong only gets fallen sinful creatures so far. And when we're honest, it spells condemnation. But in this Jesus Christ, displayed even by his infant birth, is not only truth, but grace. Don't let those call to worships that occur in Christmas carols slip you by. Come to this, the light of the world, grace and truth that makes known to you the Father who otherwise could never be seen because he dwells in inapproachable light. See this creator who brought forth all things 
See that he brought forth even the wood that would make the cross he was crucified upon. So full of grace and truth is he. He's not just born a baby, but he's born to live a life of spotless righteousness and perfection that results in death, even the death of the cross, so that he can be to you the glory of God full of grace and truth. Come to this Jesus Christ, born a baby in Bethlehem, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Father in heaven, we pray that you would, if nothing else, show us how desperate we are for grace and truth. And then show us how thoroughly satisfied our need for grace and truth is in Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.